The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome inside another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, Season 3, Episode 21, the season finale of this year. I am the namesake. Thank you for having us along with you this week. This is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast if you haven't already. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Download us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud every Wednesday. New episodes have been dropping now for 20 plus weeks, and this will be the last one for a while. So uh, thank you for your support all season long. We'll run down some things that are going on and have some top five lists before we wrap up. Taryn Malone of Metro News, a longtime listener of the podcast, joins us as well to recap the state championships, to recap some of the awards that were handed out, and to give his thoughts on the season. A strange season it was, but we got to the end of it, or at least an ending of it. Might not be the ending we expected in terms of how long it went. The season ended just a little short. We did not get the first week, or we didn't get the Super Six either, but we played a season of high school football in West Virginia, and Ohio played a season two that saw championships played to the completion and not a lot of COVID issues over there so that's the good news and I guess this is the time of the year and a year where more than anything we need to be grateful for what we have and not to dwell on what we don't have. What we had was some pretty good football what we have were some great performances and those were recognized. The LKC Player of the Year Award was handed out to Gus Morrison of Ritchie County named the conference's Player of the Year the top of the all LKC Class A first team was selected by the coaches of the league. Morrison was honored for his work as as a defender and primarily his work as both a pass catcher and a running back for Ritchie County this year. He led the state in scoring during the regular season, uh, scored 28 total touchdowns, averaged over 9 yards per rush, ran for 1,100 yards, and made 20 catches for over 400 yards this season. He also had a pick 6. He had 5 interceptions on defense. So Gus Morrison did a lot for Ritchie County. What's scary? He's just a junior. Ritchie County has another season of Gus Morrison and Rebel Defenders have another the season or try to figure out how to stop Gus Morrison. To me, what's impressive about this for him is that he was asked to take a new role in Ritchie County's offense this year, and he rose to that challenge. He'd been used as a pass catcher, and when Trey Moss left to go to St. Mary's, Morrison might have been in this role next year. This might be the role that we would have seen him in next year, but we got to see him in that role a year early after Trey Moss left. He became the primary ball carrier for Rick Hott's ball club, and as we said, 28 touchdowns total, 27 offensively in the pick six. He rose to the challenge and then some. Looking at the first team honors, Ritchie County was well represented this year. That's a sign of their rise as a program. All conference first team honors went to Blaine Bowie, Dakota Wayne, Damian Trader, Ethan Haught, and Graydon McKinney off that Ritchie County team. Of course, the state champion, St. Mary's, also well represented with Brandon Boron, Kyle West, Logan Rice, Darian Borte, Riley Boley, and Trey Moss. Tyler Consolidated placed David Throckmorton, Case Landis, and Ty Walton on the first team. Williamstown placed Brady Ankrum, Josh Ingram, Braden Modisett, Leewood Melissa, and Trevor Oates on the first team. So the area was well represented when it came to the All-LKC first team. All-State honors were handed out in Class A this week, and with it, more accolades for Ritchie County's Gus Morrison. Earlier this week, the Rebel Junior was named LKC Player of the Year, as we told you about that earlier in the program, and he was named captain of the Class A All-State football team on the first team. He counted for 28 total touchdowns. We talked about that earlier in the program as well. Morrison was joined on the first team by Rebel teammate Dakota Wayne. St. Mary's represented on the 
the first team by Brennan Boron, Trey Moss, and Darian Borte. And Williamstown's Lee Wood Malesa represents the Yellow Jackets in the area on that first team. Uh, notables on the first team, the quarterback was Ian Hamrick of Gilmer County, just a junior. He'll be back next year. Noah Brown of Greenbrier West uh, as a running back was first team All-State. Dalton Dunkel of Pendleton County, who played St. Mary's in the semifinals. Wheeling Central, of course, well represented. Doddridge County represented by Reese Burnside, DJ Devaney, the kicker whose field goal actually pushed Doddridge County past Ritchie County, a first team All-Stater. Chris Vines, the quarterback who played for Midland Trail and ran all over St. Mary's in the state quarterfinal, made it as a defensive back. Second team members include Ritchie County's Ethan Hot and Gavin Bell, Riley Boley of St. Mary's, Josh Ingram of Williamstown, Brady Ankrum of Williamstown captains the second team. Again, that's as announced by the West Virginia Sports Writers Association. So good to see after a fine season, Gus Morrison getting the recognition he deserves with some much-deserved All-State honors and captain honors of that All-State first team, no less. Also this week, the Metro News High School Football Player of the Year Award was announced, and that went to Musselman's Blake Hartman, the hands-down favorite for that award and probably the Kennedy Award later this month. He was a Class AAA first-team All-State honoree in each of the last two years, will likely be one this year as well not captaining the team. Played eight games this season, ran for 1,800 yards plus, accounted for 35 touchdowns, had 11 of the 16 first place votes. He beat out Fairmont senior quarterback Gage Michael for the honor. Michael was the runner-up. He got four first place votes and 48 points, 12 points behind what Blake Hartman was able to get. The other first place vote went to South Charleston's Zaki Lawton. We'll get to the rest of the voting in just a few minutes. But again, Blake Hartman dominated for Musselman last season, led them to a berth in the state quarterfinals before being unable to play in that game on Unfortunately, due to injury, they eventually lost to Parkersburg South. I was really looking forward on a personal note to seeing Blake Hartman play, but that wasn't meant to be. Hit the weight room pretty hard, according to his coaches, and came in stronger and bulkier this season, but that didn't cut his speed or his productivity at all. Seven touchdowns in Musselman's win over University in the first round of the playoffs this year became the state's all-time leading scorer with 748 career points, and he's tied for the state record with 118 career touchdowns as well. This is one of those things that I think is more a commentary on Hartman's full career, though he did have a great season this year. There's no denying that. I'm not taking away from his season this year when I say that. Uh, I think if he had had even an above average season, not necessarily a great season, he probably wins this award in even the Kennedy. Uh, when you've got someone that sets a state scoring record and ties a state touchdown record, and especially in a COVID era where he only had eight games, if he has a full season, he shatters the points record and he probably does the same with a touchdown record. So you have to figure that for Blake Hartman, it's a commentary on both his season, which was a great season at Musselman, and his career at large, his entire career. For me, I know that he was good last year and was even better this year. I hold a vote in this poll, and as soon as I get to the results, I will go ahead and disclose how I voted for this award. As we said earlier, Hartman wins the honor, followed by... Fairmont Seniors, Gage Michael, and then the voting was spread a lot of different ways. Oakland's Hunter Patterson was third in voting, followed by both Zeki Lawton and Trey Dunn of South Charleston, with Lawton finishing fourth and getting the one remaining first place vote that didn't go to either Hartman or Gage Michael. And with three points, Parkersburg quarterback Bryson Singer finished sixth, was the only other player with more than one point in voting. I told some people this week that I thought there were so many good candidates for this award that you could have come up with three different votes. Of course, there were three people. You had to pick a first who was your award winner, then a second, then a third. You could have submitted three different ballots with three different people on each of those ballots and still probably come up
up with worthy award winners. And the fact that a lot of people did not play a full season, that definitely hurt some of that. You're measuring the big schools and the small schools for this award, and the Kennedy, too, so those voters have the same conundrum. So that's a difficult thing to do, even in a regular year, but now you're measuring that in a year where a few people have only five or six games, and some have ten or eleven games. Uh, Jacob Caudill of Cabell Midland had a fine season, but Cabell Midland only played five games. Cam Cole of Bridgeport was a great quarterback in an offense that he, that, that team picked up entirely from scratch in the offseason. He would have been a fine candidate. Bo Heller, the quarterback for Wheeling Park, had a great season. I consider throwing a vote his way. How about Grant Cochran of Princeton? 27 TDs, just 8 picks. He threw for over 2,300 yards for Princeton this year. Double-A chock full of good talent. As we mentioned, Michael in double-A, he accounted for 34 touchdowns this season on offense and had 9 interceptions on defense. Hard not to give him the award in a lot of years. And you look at Class A, there were a lot of great players. Trey Moss of St. Mary's had 16 rushing touchdowns. I almost gave a vote to Gus Morrison of Ritchie County. 16 touchdowns on the ground, 11 through the air, including a pick 6, 28 touchdowns overall on the season. Santino Arley of Weirton Madonna throws for 26 touchdown passes and over 2,000 yards. A lot of great candidates this year. Really, really tough, tough decision to make this year. And, and I'm leaving out a lot of guys that had other great seasons. Ethan Payne of Polka, someone that garnished consideration. They only played four games, but he had 12 total touchdowns in those four games, including 10 of them on the ground. So many good candidates for this award. Uh, Hartman definitely deserving, though, for a lot of reasons. My vote went Hartman, Gage Michael, and then Bryson Singer. I was one of his votes that gave him three points. I had him as my third place pick. Singer, just a junior, has a chance to improve upon that and possibly be one of the favorites going into next year if he stays healthy. Who knows? We'll wait and see. But again, Blake Hartman of Musselman, your Metro News High School Player of the Year, and possibly doubling up as the Kennedy Award winner. We'll wait and see later this month. Let's take a look at the first half of our four top five lists. We have four lists today. This first half is going to deal with the storylines of the year. And when I first hatched the idea to do these top five lists, and this kind of expands on something we've done before, my first thought was, well, how can you appropriately deal with COVID? Do you push COVID aside and address it at a different time? Do you not at all address it because it is the elephant in the room? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to come up with two lists. The first of these top five lists, these are the top five storylines related to COVID, and then they'll be the top five storylines that are not related to COVID. And I know that COVID played a role in pretty much everything we saw and experienced this year when it comes to high school sports. But these are my top five storylines related to COVID. And, and these are in no particular order, by the way. First, the frequent schedule changes from week to week. We had schedule changes, and, and that was early and often this year. We saw that in the preseason with schedules adjusting. In week one, we had an extreme example in Parkersburg South. Could not play university and picked up Cabell Midland five hours before the game kicked off. But that was something we saw throughout the season. And it got to the point to where you finally stopped seeing teams pick up new games for Friday uh, around Monday and Tuesday. It wasn't always that way. We thought early on the season we could see games change up until the kickoff. And teams finally backed off that. I think the more teams got into the season and started playing games and realized it would be a season, then I feel like there was less of an urgency to just play anybody, any place. But there were some teams that were willing to do that. We got a lot of schedule changes this year. And what that really did made you have to stay on your toes, even if you were a top observer of high school football and unfortunately disenfranchised and kind of put aside a lot of people that casually follow high school sports because you really never knew from one week to the next who was going to play or if a schedule that was in your wallet or if one that was on your person or one that you'd read about online or in the paper even if that was an accurate schedule or not. Uh, those change so frequently. Number two on this list, the playoffs. They were very, very definitely impacted on both sides of the river. First in Ohio. The decision was made in Ohio to play a six-game regular season with the playoffs to follow. And then after that, if you got knocked
knocked out of the playoffs, you could play up to 10 games in your season, or that playoff run could run you through 10 games. It happened with Ford Fry, where they played 10 games, and that included their playoff run. So Ohio played their seasonal completion just a smaller regular season what they're used to. In West Virginia, the playoffs were very definitely impacted by COVID, because the playoffs didn't change the date. They were left in the same place. We got into about mid-October, and things were looking okay, and then all of a sudden, COVID started rising. The numbers were going up everywhere. That took out a lot of the best teams. A lot of the best teams in the playoffs were not taken out by another opponent. A lot of the best teams were taken out by Jim Justice's map of many colors. It managed to do what Doddridge County, Williamstown, and St. Mary's couldn't do in each of the last three years. Take Wheeling Central right out of the playoffs. Yeah, so many good teams were taken out by the Jim Justice Magic Eraser, PHS, Williamstown. They did not even get to start a playoff run. Martinsburg, Musselman, also gone. Wheeling Central, gone. That led to some teams playing four state championships or winning state championships that would not necessarily have been doing that if it weren't for the fact that some of these teams were knocked out. As the brackets held up, Ritchie County and Williamstown might have met in a semifinal based on where things were. That game didn't happen, obviously. Williamstown could play. St. Mary's and Wheeling Central was a first-round matchup, and fortunately for St. Mary's, they dodged the bullet in Wheeling Central. So the playoffs, very definitely a storyline on both sides of the river related to COVID. That darn map, and the COVID map in West Virginia, it's number three on this list, it's one that looked like it was going to possibly wipe out the entire season for Mon County and Kanawha County, but the metrics changed a couple weeks into the season, and it goes to show you what happens when you protest something, what happens when your voice is heard. South Charleston head coach Donnie Mays was one of the loudest opponents of the COVID metric map when it first came out. The metrics changed. Kanawha County was granted some exceptions and, and they tweaked the metrics a little bit to give them a, a better chance to be able to play. And South Charleston ended up winning a state championship this season. They won six games and, and they're state champions. So uh, you have to like, uh, if you're South Charleston, how that worked out for you. Of course, Morgantown and University, as well as Clay Battelle, got to have a couple games or at least a few games of a season. Uh, But for Morgantown, had they been able to play earlier in the year, I think they would have been a playoff team because their team was a good team and they really needed a few more games to climb in the rankings because they were a better team than the 17th ranking they earned, but they just didn't have the time to prove that. The map affected which games were played, who could play who, when they could play. It changed things constantly. It changed every day. In the playoffs, we realized the difference between the 5 p.m. Saturday map and the daily map that day. Schedules and plans were deemed irrelevant because of that stinking COVID map. Number four storyline, coaches and players quarantined. And this happened a few times. Coaches not able to be around their teams because in the course of their day jobs, they were exposed to COVID. Nathan Tanner missed what ended up being South's last game against Morgantown. He had to coach from his car parked over a corner of Erickson All Sports Facility. Rick Hott missed two games for Ritchie County because of the same thing. He had players that were quarantined, including Graydon McKinney, who was a key player on his team. While that didn't have the impact it very easily could have had on the season, especially for the local teams, it did play a factor. And finally, the number five storyline related to COVID, it partially forced Payton City and Parkersburg Catholic to shorten or eliminate their seasons. Take a look at Parkersburg
Westbrook Catholic first. They had just hired Clint Fought to be their new head coach in January or early February. Late January, early February, he was hired. So at that point, you got a month to get into the school, to get into the program, to make that your own, to start weight training. And by the time you really got a good head start on any of that, COVID hit. Nobody knew COVID was going to hit when it did, but it did. And as a result, Parkersburg Catholic did not have the traction to go look around their program, look around their school to see if they would have the players. Between that and the administration, they just looked around and said, no, we're not having a season this year. Peyton City is a different case. Head coach Zach Heasley told me they had 18 players in weightlifting at the beginning of the year. By the time COVID came and their season was about to begin, that was down to 13. So did COVID entirely cause five players to not want to come out? No, but it probably didn't help things. A couple games into the season, Peyton City's down a player or two, and so with 11 players, they played what ended up being their second game of the season, and they declared, hey, this is it. We're, we're done after this. We're going to have to cancel the rest of the season. So Peyton City and Parkersburg Catholic season were shortened or didn't happen at all, in part because of COVID. There were some other issues there, but COVID had a hand in that as well. And now for your top five non-COVID storylines. I imagine that in some way, all five of these were touched by COVID or impacted by COVID, but they weren't directly related to COVID the way the other five happened to be. And these are in no particular order. The first is that 11 win Parkersburg South wins just one game the following year. And not trying to be terribly negative on Parkersburg South, they were an 11-2 team in 2019, but won just one game in a 1-7 season the following year. There are a lot of reasons for that. The defense just was not as solid as they were the year before in the offense. Had a lot of injuries and never could get everybody healthy at the same time. And they never had a chance to gel and reach their full potential with everybody on the field at the same time. So not so much a season of falling short of goals as much as it is a season of never quite having the chance to reach a full potential, but definitely a team that is a semi-finalist the year before, uh, going from 11 wins to one win in just one season. That certainly catches the eye. Number two in this list of non-COVID storylines, the top five, Chris Beck impresses in his first year at Williamstown. We forget that this was Beck's first year taking over for Terry Smith. It almost feels like Mike Tomlin taking over for Bill Cower in the respect that in a lot of ways, Chris Beck is just as much Terry Smith, if not more Terry Smith than Terry himself, where they lean on that defense. They're going to run the ball and they're going to make no bones about the fact they're a running team and they'll throw when they have to do so. The difference between the two men is that Beck is a little more outspoken than Terry Smith. Terry was a very hold the cards close to the vest kind of coach and Beck is in a lot of ways, but he's also not afraid to say what he needs to say to express points to the media, to his players, and so on and so forth. Terry could be plenty expressive to his players, but outwardly, he kind of held the cards close to the vest on that program. I don't see the same thing quite going forward with Chris Beck. The third storyline, Ritchie County earns a berth in the state championship game. Unfortunately, this is one that COVID really touched because the Rebels were not able to play for that state championship, but the Rebels did go on the road in a quarterfinal to Greenbrier West, where they defeated the Greenbrier West Cavaliers. They rallied and scored the final 16 points of that game, and maybe the most triumphant Ritchie County football game in recent memory. The Rebels had a pretty good effort in that game, and after the game found out that there would not be a semifinal for them as East Hardy and Tulsa both wiped out by the COVID map, so that put them through to the state championship game, but unfortunately, Ritchie County's colors turned for the red and the orange the following day, and all that week after that quarterfinal win, Ritchie County could not get those metrics back to where they needed them. They needed them to be gold by the time of the semifinals, but that Saturday, it didn't happen. St. Mary's won their semifinals.
final, and St. Mary's won the state championship, which leads us to number four, St. Mary's winning that state championship. They didn't play their last regular season game, their first playoff game, and then a Super 6 game. Other than that, St. Mary's was pretty good in 11 games, 10-1 and this season. Brennan Boron, definitely a contender for all-state and definitely somebody that could be the captain of that all-state team. A fine season for St. Mary's. They got a boost by getting running back Trey Moss transferring from Ritchie County right before the season started. They have talented receivers. They had talented running backs and a defense that had all kinds of ferocity getting to the quarterback. We'll talk more about that defense more and about some of those guys on the defensive line later in the program. But St. Mary's winning a state championship. And some people have thrown a cloud over the legitimacy of that because they didn't have to get through Wheeling Central or Williamson or Doddridge County that's to be understood. I know that. They know that. That doesn't mean that this group still didn't work hard to get what they got, and that doesn't mean that they still aren't recognized as the state champions of Class A. A big story is St. Mary's wins that championship. And for number five, I'm going to go with Magnolia getting two wins, including their first, an upset of 4-0 Frontier. Frontier came into that game riding really high, and an 0-10 team from the year before, Magnolia comes in, and they punched Frontier right in the mouth and handed them that loss at Alumni Field in New Martinsville. A joyous win. As Coach Chapman said after the game, the kids played hard, the kids played well, and they deserve every bit of joy that they got from that win over Frontier. Frontier did straighten things out, and they got a win in the playoffs, their first playoff win in school history, so that's an honorable mention on this choice. So things didn't go all bad for Frontier after that, but Magnolia steps up with a big win over Frontier. So there it is, 11-win Parkersburg South going to just a one-win team. Chris Beck impressing in his first year at Williamstown. Ritchie County getting a berth in the state championship game. St. Mary's winning the state championship, and Magnolia upsetting a four no team to end their long losing streak. Those are the top five non-COVID storylines this year in no particular order. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. We're joined now on the podcast by longtime listener, first-time guest, Taryn Malone of Metro News. Taryn, welcome to the program. Glad to have you on finally. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Taryn, we've just been through a season unlike any other. We saw championships decided in a fashion unlike any other. Now that we've got three champions since we talked last, what are your thoughts on St. Mary's in Class A, Fairmont Senior in Class AA, and South Charleston in Class AAA? You were able to see, I believe, I know definitely two of those three, but were you able to see all three of those schools this year? I've seen two of those three teams uh, this year um, between St. Mary's and Fairmont Senior. I think the team that I've seen the most this season was St. Mary's. And at the beginning of the season, Jody Moat uh, just, like, you could tell in his practices that he was ready to go uh, this season with his ball club. And uh, I had St. Mary's penciled in uh, to be in a state championship game at the end of the year. Little did I know I was expecting a state final between Pendleton County and St. Mary's in the state semifinals. Yeah, definitely was an ending to the year we didn't expect. And I uh, believe in, you saw at least Fairmont Senior as well, correct? Yeah, Fairmont was um, a, quite a powerful team on offense. I saw them whenever they took on Spring Valley. Spring Valley took on Martinsburg a few weeks into the season and knocked off Martinsburg and snapping uh, their 57-game win streak. Whenever we saw this matchup on paper, we were expecting Fairmont seniors to get bladder water, but Fairmont actually held on and knocked off Spring Valley in Class AAA by a final score of 27-18. to Gage Michael was the story of Fairmont this season. No question in my mind. He was one of our candidates and the Metro News Player of the Year. He fell short uh, to the other uh, candidate, which hit 
to later in the program. And again, three worthy programs winning state championships this year. They might not have been the state championships that we all would have imagined going into this season, but they're three programs that definitely work hard. What are your thoughts on the way the championship was decided? Was it really just the best solution we had at the current time, or were there other things that could have been done to change the way things played out? See, we look over at Ohio's situation a little bit, and what we see in Ohio, I mean, they're already playing basketball season right now. Um, They had their state championship games, and they got everything done in the right way. Now, West Virginia, I feel personally, I feel West Virginia should take into account what Ohio is doing, see if we could replicate that in the state. However, the state championships in West Virginia, it was quite the hassle to figure out who was going to be in, who was going to be out. We were starting to think at the beginning of that last Saturday map during the semifinal weekend, that the Super 6 may not even be played at all because of the Saturday morning map. So we were thinking of all the possibilities. Okay, well, this might be for the state championship. For example, Bluefield and Fairmont senior Joe Bricado was down at Bluefield, and he had a pretty good game. Uh, Fairmont senior won by, I do believe, like two or three points over Bluefield to claim their second state championship in the past, what was it, three or four years? Um, And same thing for St. Mary's. We didn't know that the game between St. Mary's and Pound and Kenny would be for the state finals. And so my thoughts on that is I think it should have been played whether or not your county was in the orange. Now, if it was the red, for example, then I could totally understand. But if your county is orange, for example, parents could be at the Super 6. Nobody else is allowed. Metro News would have the broadcast of all three games, and we could dream it statewide. I thought that would be a really good example. But I'm just a sports reporter. I am not in charge of who goes, who doesn't. But I do believe the state championship should have been played as they were listed past semifinal Friday and Saturday. Yeah, those are decisions that get made above our pay grade, unfortunately. But we were lucky to have a season, and we definitely were lucky to get as much football as we did. And in that season, we saw some fantastic performances. You mentioned the Metro News Player of the Year Award handed out this week, and it went to Musselman's Blake Hartman, who had two stellar seasons to begin his high school career as a sophomore and as a junior, but really built on that as a senior. Gage Michael, the only other guy that really merited serious consideration for that. But beyond that, you really had a deep pool of contenders. I had a tough time picking this year's to who I would put behind Hartman and Gage Michael of Fairmont Sr. But what were your thoughts on some of the contenders this year? And were there people on that list or people that played somewhere in the state that maybe were overlooked? So Metro News Player of the Year was Blake Hartman. He is a senior at Musselman High School. He rushed for 1,835 yards, accounted for 35 touchdowns. Uh, last year, 2018-2019, he was the Clash AAA first-team All-State honoree. His freshman year, he was a Clash AAA second-team All-State honoree. Hartman led the Appleman to a 7-1 campaign. He also assisted Musselman to a number three seed in Clash AAA, which is hard to do, especially this year. The underlock for Musselman this season came from Martinsburg, which was a competitive game from what I thought. 51-33 uh, was the final score. Hartman rushed for 259 yards and scored all five of the team's touchdowns against uh, Martinsburg, which is kind of crazy because Martinsburg is the four-time defending state champion and was looking to get another state championship this year, but due to the map, they couldn't. The votes were as following. Blake Hartman was in first place with 64, uh, 64 points, and he had 11 first place points. Second came Gage Michael into the contest back and forth. Gage Michael from Fairmont Senior, 48 points with four first place points. Number three was Hunter Patterson of Oak Glen with 10 points. 
Number one was Dupuis Alton from South Charleston with six points and one first place point. Number five was Trey Dunn from South Charleston, five points in total. And then number six was the Mid-Ohio Valley local, Brighton Singer from Parkersburg with three points. I believe everything fell in suit whenever it came to the Metro's part of the year. I was keeping an eye on Blake Hartman this season. Um, however, I was expecting Martinsburg to make a deep postseason run. But like I said before, the map just held them just shy of the state championship. But no perfect candidate than that Blake Hartman this year. Yeah, Hartman had a fantastic season. A lot of good players at the small school level, too, we saw throughout the year. Gus Morrison of Ritchie County, someone I considered giving a vote to. Uh, Santino Arley of Madonna throws for over 2,000 yards and 20, 26 scores. Trevor Oates, in limited time, had a great season. Talent all up and down the list at all three classes. And a lot of this talent's coming back next year, too, Taryn. Yeah, especially for uh, the LKC players. We were going to get into that, but I, I guess we'll hop in that now if you'd like. That's a great segue. Uh, LKC players, this has been tremendous uh, this season, and along with the coaches as well. Um, we saw some teams that really progressed this season and really made a deep postseason run. Like, for example, where County did quite the job and made it to state playoff opening round. Barely lost to Ritchie County 16-7 to was the final there. But Gus Morrison was one of the biggest standouts this season. And it made you think a little bit, Eric, that if Trey Moss was going to transfer from Ritchie County to St. Mary's, what this would be like for the Rebels, especially since they made it qualified to the state final but wasn't eligible to play. It, it just makes you think, what would Trey Moss be doing right now? Well, not right now, but during the season on offense and just racking up the points for the Rebels along with Gus Morrison. And you got all these guys coming back. Gus Morrison, Ethan Hunt, St. Mary's, uh, the state champions uh, that was declared. They're graduating quite a few players uh, and Brennan Boron, Trey Moss. I do believe that alone. So it's going to be quite competitive to see next season who is going to be dominant in the LKC? We talked about Williamstown a little bit. Williamstown was doing quite well uh, throughout the season, just didn't get a chance to play in the playoffs because of that. Like I said, LKC players is just dominant uh, throughout the stretch. And looking into next year, I'm excited for next year to see what all these uh, student athletes can do. Yeah, I think you look no further than Ritchie County with that LKC Player of the Year, Gus Morrison. You also look at Williamstown. They're also a program that seems to be able to rebuild every year, but a lot of talent coming back. Any other LKC postseason honors that stick out to you? I'm looking throughout the list. Uh, Doddridge County really stuck out with me. Adam Burns, I got to see him play a few times this season. In the first game of the season and their last game of the season, whenever we had that delay at Ritchie County, I actually managed to go down to US 50 and watch Dodgers County and East Hardy. And East Hardy made quite the upset. And that's a team that nobody was expecting to beat Dodgers County, especially in the opening round, I should say. Burnside sticks out with me, Adam Burnside. Um, another athlete that sticks out with me is Case Stewart from Wahama. He should be good next year. And I'm looking down throughout the list. They have Dylan Knight coming back for Doddridge County and Gilmer County as well. They had a decent season. Like I said, LKC all the way next season, especially in single A, should be competitive. You've got quite a few athletes just returning back. And uh, St. Mary's may be down, but they're going to be in the rebuilding process as well. I look for Ritchie County to advance what happened this year into next season and see if they can make a deep postseason run uh, in the playoffs. 
This is a season unlike any other that we've experienced in recent memory, really anyone's recent memory. Now that we're to the end of it, now that we're finished with it, we're grateful for football, but hopefully things are better next year. What sticks out to you from this season, other than the fine performances that we were able to see? The things that really stick out with me, Eric, is the last-minute scheduling, and I'll tell you why. You had quite a few teams unable to play on Friday or Saturday nights and give it to the athletic directors. I mean, they scheduled games like you wouldn't believe just to make sure that the student-athletes would be able to play. Um, I'm going to give you a pretty good example. No one at the beginning of the season would ever think that Parkersburg would be taking on Wheeling Central Catholic or Parkersburg taking on Bluefield. You got to give credit to the athletic director of Parkersburg for getting those games scheduled so those kids could be playing on a Friday night or Saturday night even. So that, that's like one of the bigger stories. Usually with me working at Metro News, I usually have a list, a composite schedule, and I usually make my schedule in advance. And on whenever Friday or Saturday nights roll around, we already know where we're going. But we have to determine those games of what we're covering that day. For example, once again, I was going to cover Wheeling Central Catholic and Madonna. That game got canceled. I was already heading up the road up to Morgantown on the interstate to go to Wheeling, and that game got canceled at the last minute, so I had to turn back around, look for another game, couldn't find one, so I was without a Saturday game that weekend. The storyline for this season is the last-minute scheduling and the athletic directors taking the time and making sure that those student-athletes were able to play on a Friday or Saturday night. I definitely agree with that. I did a game this year where the opponent changed five hours before kickoff. That was the opening game of the season for me, so that will be an impression and a memory that I'll have forever. And it just goes to show you this is a year where you go with the flow and you do the best that you can and try to be as resilient as you can in every situation. Taryn Malone of Metro News, longtime listener and supporter of this program. And you do fine work to cover the state through your own program and through Metro News. Thank you so much for your support over the years. And thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us about this season. And hopefully we'll have a more normal looking season next year. Boy, I sure hope so. Thank you, Eric, for your time. And now two more lists before we go. The first is a list of five players to watch in 2021. It's in no particular order. And again, all these lists as they pertain to people, we're not playing favorites here. These are just five people that had big seasons this year that are coming back next year that are ones to watch, not to say that there aren't others. These are just the first five that came to mind for me and the five that I think have the chance to make the biggest impact in 2021. Again, no particular order here. Number one is Cyrus Traw of Parkersburg South. If that's not a name you know, it needs to be. Traw played in seven of South's eight games this year, missed one due to injury, and scored touchdowns in all seven of the games in which he played. He's a basketball player too, so if we get to see a basketball season, watch for him on the hardwood. Just a sophomore and easily is Parkersburg South's best athlete right now as a football player. So Cyrus Traw, fun to watch in every sport, but I think he has a really big chance to break out on the statewide scene in 2021. Ethan Hot of Ritchie County, and you have to like his touchdown to turnover ratio. I believe it was 23 touchdown passes this year for Ethan Hot, one interception. And some of that was his dad saying that he doesn't force things and maybe should take some more chances throwing the football or late in a half or late at the end of the game if things are tight. But Hot started as a freshman last year. He's got two years of varsity experience under his belt. He's only going to be a junior next year. Ritchie County has a real chance to be good for the next couple of years, and it starts if they can find some weapons and develop some weapons around Ethan Hot. Our third player to watch in 2021 is one 
71 have to develop. That's Gus Morrison of Ritchie County, the LKC Player of the Year. Watch for someone like Gus Morrison to get more looks for the Metro News Player of the Year Award and even the Kennedy Award later on. It's hard for a Class A player to win those awards, but his name will come up for that kind of recognition if he puts together a season like what he put together this year. As you said already, 28 total touchdowns, 27 offensively, and then one as a pick six. He steered the ship for Ritchie County and looked no further than his effort in the second half of their quarterfinal win against Greenbrier West. Didn't do a whole lot in the first half, came to life over 100 total yards of offense and three scores in the second half of that game. Gus Morrison, number three of your players to watch. Number four is Trevor Oates of Williamstown. They knew they were going to be good on the ground this year with a veteran quarterback and Braden Modisett and Oates coming back at running back. Oates, we don't know. He lost out to Modisett a year ago in the quarterback derby that these two had. And where does he fit in next year? Does he play quarterback? Because he'll be a senior next year and Modisett will depart. Or does he stay at running back and use someone else to facilitate that offense? That's a decision Chris Beck and that coaching staff will have to make in the offseason. Oates had a fine season for the Yellow Jackets, somebody that has a chance to make a big impact next year. In just seven games, he carried a ball 148 times, 966 yards, and 10 touchdowns. So if he completes the season or at least plays one more game, chances are pretty good he tops the 1,000-yard mark on the season. And number five is Bryson Singer of Parkersburg High School. You can't have this list and not put Bryson Singer on the list. In eight games, Singer had over 1,200 rushing yards. He threw for over 600 yards, nearly 700 yards, accounted for 27 offensive touchdowns, actually 28 offensive touchdowns. He caught a touchdown pass and had four interceptions on defense. A threat on both sides of the ball, a double threat on offense because he can run and he can beat you with that throwing arm. A throwing arm that got more accurate and got better and better as the year went on. Singer has a really good shot if he stays healthy and plays the same kind of football this year that he's played the last couple years to be a contender for that Metro News Player of the Year Award and the Kennedy Award next year. Big things could happen for someone like Bryson Singer, but as with any of these guys, I look back at what Blake Hartman said when he won the Metro News Player of the Year Award. He finished the year last year at about 190 pounds, got in the weight room in the offseason, and got up to about 220-230, and finished up at about 210 at the end of the year, because he's someone that sees a lot of wear and tear on his body, and you get beaten, you get battered, and you get bruised, and the bigger and the stronger that you are, that certainly helps deal with some of that, and for someone like Singer, if the offense is going to continue to look like it does now for Parkersburg, he's going to need that. He's going to need to be able to hang in there and run the ball, and, and, and take punishment as a running back, but also be able to throw the ball and, and deliver under pressure as a quarterback. He gets physical on defense as well, and he's also no stranger to the weight room. Mike Bias, his head coach, said to me in the offseason that they had to back him down from the weight regimen because he was getting to the point to where he was adding so much bulk, his pliability was becoming limited. And that's your ability to move your arms and move your legs and have that flexibility that makes you that elusive athlete. So Singer has a real chance to be among the state's elite. Again, a lot of talent in this area, and I think more so than any other year. The thing to look forward to in 2021 is the amount of returning talent and the caliber of that returning talent might be higher than we've seen in a long time. Usually there's somebody that steps up that maybe we didn't know about at a few different schools and you know the stories are written about them and we talk about them, but I can't remember too many years in recent history where we've got so much talent that's still coming back next year. How about with St. Mary's too as a team? A lot of those guys that lived in backfields, especially Pendleton Counties in St. Mary's semifinal win over Pendleton County, a lot of those pass rushers are sophomores and juniors. A lot of time left for those guys to make big things happen. And again, all the guys on this list here that I read, Cyrus Traw of Parkersburg South, Ethan Houghton, Gus Morrison of Ritchie County, Trevor Oates of Williamstown, Bryson Singer of PHS, they're all coming back next year. So more so than in any other year that I can remember in recent history, the crop of people coming back next year is maybe as promising as it's been in a
in a very, very long time. So as awful of a year as 2020 was, as unfulfilling in many ways as 2020 was from a football standpoint, there's so much on the horizon that if we can get through COVID, if things go back to normal in 2021, I think we are primed for a fantastic football season. But either way, a number of guys could make that list. Those are the five that I have on my list as players to watch in 2021. And now the final new list of this season and this episode, the top five things to look for in 2021. How about an improved South joining PHS in the top half of Class AAA? PHS South is a matchup that has been played every year since Parker's Rick South opened until this year. It wasn't played because of COVID, but next year, I think Parker's Rick South will be better than the one-win team we saw this year and look for them to be improved, look for PHS to continue to have the success and to build on the success that they had this year and be in that top half of Class AAA. AAA, maybe hovering around the 8 or 9 mark, but look for them both to be in the top half of Class AAA. Also, this is a slam dunk. Look for continued LKC small school dominance. St. Mary's, again, a lot of their pass rushers are juniors and sophomores, so defensively, you know they're going to be strong. Guys will step up and help where there are deficiencies. Offensively, they need a quarterback, and there are a couple running backs shy, but they'll figure things out, and they've got some people that they're high on hoping to replace those guys at those positions. Ritchie County is built for success. They'll lose some key players. Dakota Wayne, Graydon McKinney graduating this year, among others. Some of those first-team guys we said earlier are graduating, but they return Ethan Hoth, they return Gus Morrison. No reason to believe the Rebels shouldn't be one of Class A's best teams. And the same with Williamstown. So those LKC small school teams will continue to rule the roost in Class A. Parkersburg Catholic and Payton City look for them to both return to play. Within the last month, Parkersburg Catholic stuck an ad in the newspaper locally advertising for a head coach. So it could be fought once again. Clint fought. We talked about him earlier in the program. Or they could have entirely opened it up to a brand new search and a brand new crop of people. They're at least considering returning to play. And I'm hearing Payton City is actively recruiting players uh, within the program, within the school there. They're trying to get kids to come out and try to treat it like a signing day almost and, and get guys to commit to that. And if you're Zach Heasley, that's what what you have to do to build that excitement about playing at Payton City. You've got to make it look like a serious commitment, and you've got to make it be an exciting thing, something that people are excited to come out and do. That's how you get that buy-in. If that's what it takes, then by all means, go for it. You certainly want to see both of those schools field football. They've done it for so many years. They've had their success in the past, but either way, definitely those are two schools you'd like to see participating. This is one that you might not think of, but I think Another thing we'll see next year, the fourth item on this list, and again, these are all in no particular order, I think we're going to see more inventive scheduling. Teams might not be scheduling so far ahead, and that could lead to more unique matchups. We're already seeing in college football how this is benefiting things. The best game of last weekend was Coastal Carolina and BYU. That was a game that came together Thursday. And we're learning at the college level that you don't need to schedule your opponents a decade in advance to have good matchups. You can make good matchups by having a dynamic schedule and a schedule that allows for a little bit of wiggle room and flexibility. Who do you want to see now? Here's a week. Let's make it happen this week. And let's pick up somebody this week. And I'm not saying that high schools are going to be loosey-goosey, but I think some high schools are going to remember and have longer memories than others as to who was willing to give them a game this year and who wouldn't play them and who wouldn't bend backwards in a pandemic year or who did them wrong in a pandemic year. They were talking about playing a date, and then uh, maybe they went behind that school's back and scheduled somebody else. Uh, I think we're going to see some scheduling changes, but I think the biggest change of 
the scheduling changes is that we're going to see some more inventive scheduling. I'm not saying maybe to the extent of this year because you had Parkersburg playing Bluefield, you had Parkersburg playing Wheeling Central, you had some really out there matchups that were a lot of fun that you never would have had otherwise. I know Wheeling Park and Steubenville were set to play. I don't believe that game happened, but people were willing to go outside the box and say, you know what, you want to play, I want to play, let's find a field and let's get it done. I think you're going to see a lot more creativity in scheduling. And finally, the number five thing on this top five list of things to look for in 2021, hopefully no COVID. No COVID, hopefully. Hopefully by next summer. We've got the pandemic within our grasp. If it's not completely eradicated by next summer, hopefully we have it within reach to where we can wipe it out or at least get some control over it so that it doesn't control our lives and dominate our year. Like this is dominated now nine months of a year. You've not really been able to go any place without thinking of COVID, whether that's to your family's house, whether that's shopping, whether that's on vacation. A lot of that stuff hasn't happened. Uh, even to ball games. There's a lot of people uh, in our listening audience, and it's tough for me to see this sometimes because I'm at games fairly regularly, but there are a lot of people that are usually at ball games that were not able to be at them this year. People that are huge fans of this program, but maybe don't have a kid or a grandkid in it anymore. They were really shut out. If this podcast was a lifeline for you and, and you were one of those people, then I'm certainly glad to have provided that for you. But it was something that we as media members covering the event had to really step back and look at this year because it wasn't a lot different to us from that perspective. That was the one thing we had. We were able to go to a football field and watch games and, and cover games. Uh, it was weird. I'll, I'll not lie about that. It was definitely different, but at least we had that and had that sense of normalcy. A lot of you did not have that, and now that we're in the past, it's a little easier to look back and see that. Hopefully, we have no COVID next year, a schedule that stays consistent, a schedule that's completed with a Super 6. We get fans in the stands, marching bands back on the field in full uniform. We get cheers and dance and all the other things that make high school football fun. The camaraderie, stuffing the seats, jamming people into stadiums and filling the venues. And to focus back on football instead of this virus that's the overarching thing that's going on in life right now. The elephant in the room, the common opponent. Hopefully we get a season next year without COVID because if you take away COVID, we've got a really, really good season in 2021 that's about to blossom. And hopefully we get to that sooner than later. Before we go, look back at last Last year's top five storylines going into 2020, just for fun to see where things were. One of those I had with the progression of quarterback Bryson Singer at Parkersburg High School. Nailed that one. He's developed into one of the area's best players. Frontier and River both being strong. Nailed that one as well because both those teams won playoff games. Unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to play each other, but they both had winning seasons and made it into the playoffs and won in the playoffs. So those are teams that had good runs this season. Frontier and River looking to build on that for next year. Participation. We mentioned that Notre Dame and Federal Hawking were canceled before or during the season. Those weren't really in this area, but were teams that affected the area because they were scheduled to play teams in this area. Magnolia came close to not having enough players to finish the season in 2019. This year, the pandemic didn't help things, but before we even started, Parkersburg Catholic wasn't involved, and Payton City was not able to finish their season. A number of other teams had issues with numbers as well, so that definitely reared its ugly head. Coaching situations. Of course, Lance Binniger and Parkersburg Catholic
Catholic. And he went on to be the head coach of Belfry. He was originally going to be an assistant for Mike Duvall, but Duvall stepped down late in the process. And Benninger took over as the head coach at Belfry. Where he was going to go was a storyline at this time last year. Mike Bias at PHS, would he be able to stick around there? And he has and has built a nice program there and has continued to do good things there. Dave Chapman at Magnolia, in his words, he has dealt with the problem and they've moved past the problem. There was a personnel issue there with some of his coaching staff. They've moved past that and they're looking to build things there. That's a storyline that we got fairly right. And what's the next step for these successful programs? St. Mary's, Parkersburg South, Ritchie County, Tyler Consolidated, and Parkersburg Catholic. All five of those programs had winning seasons in 2019. Unfortunately for Parkersburg Catholic, they didn't have a 2020 season. Tyler Consolidated slipped, as did Parkersburg South, while St. Mary's won a state championship and Ritchie County qualified to play for a state championship. So things went drastically in different directions for those five programs. And I mean a pretty far extreme from not being able to field a team to winning a state title or to be able to play for state title. So last year's list, we got mostly right, but I tell you what, no one this time last year could have seen COVID coming the way it did. We were talking about it early in 2020. You were starting to see stories coming from China and coming into the U.S. eventually. The impact that it was starting to have as more word came out about it, what it was, who it was impacting, how it impacted people. And then finally, by the beginning of March, uh, it was a full-blown pandemic, whereas the middle of March, life just changed and it was everywhere. I don't think I need to really run down the last nine months for you and the way that COVID has impacted 2020. Uh, you lived it as it was. So again, that's last year's list uh, as best we were able to project what would be our top stories going into 2020. Had a recent request to explain some of the things about high school football and covering high school football that we normally see and maybe take for granted that people understand. One is awards in the postseason. As I come to you, a radio broadcaster, I do play-by-play for Parkersburg South, and I host Countdown to Kickoff on all four of our company stations. And when I get the opportunity, I moonlight on coverage on our other stations. I got to be a sideline reporter on four games on Light Rock 93R this year. Saw Richie County and St. Mary's make their respective playoff runs. As a radio broadcaster, I don't get a vote in all state. I don't get a vote in any of the postseason awards that you see in the paper. Uh, those are news writers awards. They come together and they vote on those and they select all state teams. That's nothing to do with radio. So I've had people come to me in the past and want me to consider their student athlete for all state. And I just have to tell them I don't have a vote in it. Uh, as a radio broadcaster, the Metro News poll, the Metro News power rankings, and the postseason award that Metro News hands out, the player of the year award, that is voted on by other radio broadcasters in the state as a compliment to the Kennedy Award and uh, an award that I believe is of equivalent importance, if not equivalent tradition. We're building that up. Uh, I have a vote on that, and I already disclosed early in the episode which way I voted this year. You'll have to rewind to hear that if you want to do so. The Metro News Power Rankings brings us to the next point, and this is one that often gets messed up by people when they post polls on Facebook and they post news on Facebook. They'll see an article about how their team is number one in the state, despite the fact that the SSAC rankings has them at number six or vice versa. You see a lot of people get upset locally at the small school level about this as it pertains to Wheeling Central. How can Wheeling Central be three and four, but number one in the state? Well, that's because they're that stinking good. The difference between the two polls, the Metro News poll is a power rankings. That means it's voted on by people as an opinion poll. It doesn't carry any weight as to seedings in the playoffs, who makes it in, who doesn't make it in, and where they make it in if they do make it in. It is an opinion poll of people that cover football in this state as to where these teams are really seated and where they are in relation to one another. Uh, and that's all it is. Um, not everybody who votes in the poll has the ability to see a lot of football. We all do the best we can to be a, as abreast on the topic as possible. But there are shortcomings that we all make. It's an imperfect 
poll for that reason. That's an opinion poll of people that cannot consume all the football in the state, but we do our best to get that right. The SSAC rankings, those are the official playoff rankings, and in a 10-game season, those are usually a pretty good indicator of where teams are. It was a little tough this year because teams were seated out of whack because not everybody played 10 games or even the same amount of games, and that definitely skewed the ratings. Uh, you had a team like Morgantown that probably in a 10-game season would have made the playoffs, depending on who they would have scheduled. They were a good team and beginning to figure things out when the season ended for them. It was a little tough to get uh, an evenly balanced rating in the SSAC ratings with teams not playing the same number of games this year, but that is a computer-based formula. It's based on the numbers. It's not based on any opinions uh, as far as ranking teams in any way, shape, or form. So some of the key differences there that we assume people know, maybe they don't know, but if you don't, well, now you know. Want to give some final thoughts here before we sign off. I got to say, covering high school football is one of my favorite things that I do. Uh, this is my 14th season covering high school football. I couldn't believe it either when I counted that up at the beginning of the season. I came on in 2007. I had just graduated college. It was a few months out of college. I came on at my hometown station, Seven Rangers Radio, which at the time was just a two-station group. We've now grown into a four-station group in two towns, and we put a lot of football on the radio, and we're proud of what we do. This wraps up my 14th season covering high school football in some capacity. I'm very proud of the work we've been able to do, and I'm very glad to work with a lot of great people. I want to thank Garrett Furr and Randy Kinsolving, my partners on V96.9, Zach Wood, our studio engineer on V96.9. I want to thank my Countdown to Kickoff analysts, Garrett Furr again, and John Mike Nichols. It was John Mike you hear uh, on me with the Magic Eraser sketch. We had a lot of fun uh, writing some comedy sketches, and I really enjoyed spending time in the playoffs with Dave St. Peter and John Mike Nichols. Our guest today, Taryn Malone. I want to thank my guest in a previous week, Mike Hayden. All the coaches that I've been able to interview this year. A pandemic is difficult for everybody because I know these coaches are teachers as well. And so they're trying to adjust to a different way to do their day job and then a different way to coach football and try to bring some normalcy for these young people and their communities during a difficult time. They're pressed to the max right now and stretched in eight different directions aside from where they normally would be if they were doing these things in normal circumstances. And every coach I dealt with this year was generous with their time generous with their access, whether it was talking on the phone, whether I stopped by and interviewed these folks in person, and I cannot express what that means to me. This was a year where the littlest gesture uh, definitely was one that you appreciated the most, whether it was just giving five minutes to talk about your game that week or giving 10 to 20 minutes, and we could talk about some goofy stuff on the podcast. It was definitely appreciated because we went four or five months without sports there for a while. It had been a while since I'd covered sports and seen a lot of these people in athletics that I'm used to seeing on a regular basis. It was nice to talk to some familiar people and, and see some friendly faces again once we got to get out and do those things. Uh, there are too many to name. I'll leave somebody out if I do. But if you were on this program this year, if you were interviewed for this program, definitely thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for the time that you were willing to put in to help me in getting some more recognition for your kids, to put something together with me so I could learn more about your team and I could provide this outlet and tell people about your team and what it is your program does. I want to thank all our listeners as well. We have some very loyal listeners to the program, people that download us every week that post on our Facebook page and would answer the poll questions. And I will work on getting those back next year. I really liked having those and missed them this year. We'll find some way to get poll questions back on the show. The regular listeners are what makes this show worth it because it's fun to have that interaction, that conversation. This was definitely a season where it was tough to feel like high school football was important. And in the grand scheme of things, it's a game. It's it's an extracurricular activity of sport. We all know that. This was by far the most difficult season and the strangest season I've ever had to cover. Not just because things 
change, but also because there was that looming elephant in the room. You always knew there was something going on in the world that was much more important than what we were dealing with. And it felt weird in a lot of ways to continue to keep going on and covering high school football. But we did it because people wanted the coverage. People appreciated the coverage. And it was a respite for people that were really struggling with things. I'll be honest, this show is a respite for me. I brought it back about a month earlier than I've done in the past. I did that for me just as much as anything else. I wanted that creative outlet. I wanted a chance to tell stories again. I wanted a chance to come up and create something. Uh, it was a rough time for me in April, May, and June without a lot going on. Took a vacation, cleared my head, came back. And one of the first things I wanted to do was to start this podcast. We've come a long way since then. And I want to thank you for your support throughout the season. Again, it's been a tough year for me personally. Uh, I've had issues with illness in my families, even going through a breakup at the current time. That's something that not a lot of people know. Maybe I'm just dropping a bombshell on my own podcast. But you know what? If you can't drop a bombshell about your own life on your own podcast, where else can you drop that? But like I said, through everything, this season has taught me that we all have each other and that the high school football community in this area, not to be lovey-dovey, wishy-washy, and if that's too much for some of you, I apologize, but the high school football community in this area is pretty strong and we help pick each other up when times are down. And we're all going through this together and we all understand that. And you know, going from team to team and talking from group of players to group of players, it was good to be able to share in that common love, the common love of high school football and extracurricular athletics and high school level. They're important in this community. They're important in this valley. They will continue to be important in this area. It's why we covered them in a difficult year to do so. I'm not looking for accolades on how we did doing that. But again, it wasn't easy. There were a lot of hurdles, a lot of obstacles. We all knew it could have been shut down at any given moment. But thank you so much to the coaches, the players, the athletic departments for your support, your access, your help in covering this season. It is not forgotten, and it certainly is appreciated, the help that you were able to provide. I think the final thought I'm going to leave you with is this. If you would have told us in August that we would get to December and we'd not have a Super 6, but we'd get into the playoffs before COVID really started to become an issue, we would have been surprised. There were a lot of people that thought extra quick. There's a shutdown about a month into the season, and that's not what happened. We played a season. Ohio played their season to completion. And it was largely unaffected, other than the fact the regular season was shortened. But the playoffs were lengthened, too. So teams got to play this year. Participation happened this year. And that's the most important thing. I know that we're used to rivalries. We're used to winning and losing. We're used to a lot of other things mattering. But this year, participation really, really mattered. And I cannot stress that enough. The fact that for a group of people that have lost so much of their high school experiences and so much of the things they expected to have, uh, we were able to provide this for our young people. And, and that's something that's the most important. I worry a lot. I try not to worry about things, but I worry a lot about the generation of kids now that's in high school, that's starting college, that had things taken away from them maybe last year, their senior years. That's an area of life and a time of life where it's so easy to become cynical and it's so easy to get bitter and it's so easy to think about things that were taken from you that we don't have. And, and it's hard for adults to think about things that were taken from us. People have postponed vacations, weddings, family gifts get-togethers, a lot of other things that didn't happen because of the pandemic. But rather than be upset or bitter about that, we should be grateful for what we have. And what we had this year was a was a year of high school football. It didn't look like any other that we've had in the past, and it doesn't look like one that I'd want to repeat again, quite frankly. But we had it, and I enjoyed it. There were moments of joy in there, legitimate joy, where for a few hours you forgot there was something awful going on in the world. For a few hours you were focused on athletic competition at the high school level. I'll 
I'll never forget the joy I saw on the Ritchie County sideline and in the crowd when they advanced to the state championship game. I'll never forget being around St. Mary's when they won the state title. I'll never forget seeing senior nights this year that we thought might not happen and seeing bands perform and cheerleaders perform and just the spectacle of a high school football game. It looked different. I wanted to get back to where it was before because I like the crowds and I like the people being there, but we had it and it's time to be grateful for that. And I certainly am grateful for it. I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for the opportunities that we have to talk to you about this on the podcast. But again, to get back to the final thought, this is a generation that has had a lot taken from them right now. And they're in an age where it is easy to become cynical about the world and bitter. But even as adults, we have to keep them focused. We have to keep ourselves focused on the positive because if we lose that in ourselves, then they're definitely going to lose that. And they're in an age where they can make some decisions that are really going to impact their lives that they can't undo. So we have to do our best to heal the cynicism, the bitterness of that generation and to make them feel listened to and to make them feel understood that their pain is palpable and it is understandable and it's justified because we're all going through a difficult time right now. It's the togetherness and the camaraderie that we all share. That's what brings joy and that's what makes things a little bit easier. And that's what I'm the most grateful for as I sign off this podcast. Thank you so much for providing that all year, for providing an outlet and for listening to this if you're able to listen. I hope we were able to bring a program that was entertaining and one that fulfills you and was as fulfilling to you as it was to me. Don't forget, you can like us on Facebook if you haven't already done so at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes during the season drop every Wednesday. I will talk to you as of right now. We'll talk to you next summer, late next summer, with season four of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Hopefully things will be better in the world. Until then, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, where you can find us, uh, rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. New episodes every Wednesday. Until then, have a happy holiday season. Thank you for your support all season long. And please, please, please wash your hands, wear a mask, socially distance, and do what it takes to stay safe so we can come back together next year and do this again. God bless. Take care, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode. And thanks for listening.